Welcome to this spooky episode of Tasting Anarchy. I am your host, Jacob Lindsay, and I'm joined by my ghoulish friend... Mason Joseph. I was going to say, are you the host with the most? I am the, I'm the host with the most death <laughs> and <laughs> other spooky vampire type things for Halloween. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who are listening on the day that this is released, happy Halloween. I hope that you have a, a good one. We decided to put a show together that was a little bit different than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in this one, we've chosen a pretty spooky wine to discuss and we're returning to an old format where Mason and I discussed the same wine because uh-huh. they it was available in both of our areas. Yes. So have you had a chance to try it out yet, Mason? I have had none of it. Okay. Well, then let me go ahead and just tell everybody what it is. It's uh, from Ravenswood Winery. It's a Zinfandel, red Zinfandel. And um, one of the reasons that we chose this was because, well... Our, our favorite freak show, um, well, not really our favorite, but one of the ones that I've talked about a bunch, is um, has now put out a Zinfandel. But Mason wasn't able to find it in Norfolk, so I decided to choose a different Zinfandel because I was going to get this one for comparison with the with the freak show one, Mason. Yes. Um, I was going to compare the two because apparently the guy who makes this, his name is uh, Joel Peterson. Uh-huh. He's known as the godfather of Zin and is kind of the guy who introduced, um, I would maybe high-end Zinfandel. I'm not really sure how that's the proper way to describe it, but basically Californians specializing in Zinfandel wine. Uh, back in the in the mid-70s, he, he started doing this, and he's actually a really interesting guy. Uh, he, he was a cancer researcher. Mm-hmm. who just also liked wine and started kind of getting into the wine scene. So from 1976, when he started Raven's, Ravenswood, until 1992, he just did uh, like biochemical research for cancer. And then in his spare time, did wine. And then finally, when his winery started turning a profit in 92, well, actually, I think it was about 1990, it started turning a profit. Then he retired from doing biomedical research and, and went straight into doing wine or exclusively into doing wine. And he's won a ton of different awards for his Zinfandels out of the Napa area. And then once his operations started to expand and grow and people really liked his wine, he started expanding into other parts of California. And the wine that we're trying tonight is his Lodi Zinfandel. Uh-huh. Now, Lodi is, for those of you who don't know, is in the Central Valley. It uh, tends to be, um, I guess, more of a hot climate. Or not, not I guess. I mean, you're, you lived in the Central Valley for a while, not too far away from Lodi. And sure. I was from the foothills, not terribly far away from Lodi. So the valley does get really hot. And it so it's over it, a lot of days. Oh yeah, a lot of days over a hundred. It's also it can be very dry some years. It can it can be a little bit wetter some years. But regardless of what's going on in California, it's usually a pretty good place to grow grapes. And Lodi has started becoming pretty well known for its Zinfandel grapes. And I think that's partially because it's got very warm days, very cool nights, and its soil is uh, kind of a rocky, sandy soil, which is very good for growing things like artichokes, but also for growing Zinfandel grapes. So one of the things I want to point out about Lodi. Mm-hmm. And like Stockton and things in the Central Valley. One of the things a lot of people don't know is like they're some of the furthest inland, like saltwater ports in the United States because the the bay from San Francisco mm-hmm. actually intrudes that far into California. Yeah. And Lodi, like um, I was reading something on, I think on uh, Michael David Winery, the one who does Freak Show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Z, the Seven Deadly Sins or whatever. Yeah. 
they were talking about the cool night breeze from the ocean, the Lodi, and I'm like, Lodi's not near the water. And then I was like, oh, wait, Lodi's actually, you know, pretty far in the delta. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you don't really think about it, too. And, and I mean, for those of you who don't know, the song uh, CCR, Creed's Clearwater Revival, has that song, like, Suck in Lodi again. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, I always think of Lodi as kind of like a shithole. Oh, it is. And, well, parts of it are, but it's it's becoming a lot, I guess, a lot ritzier as pe- as the Bay Area grows and people run out of space. They start moving uh-huh. They start moving in. But Lodi's also, it's always been a agricultural, agricultural community, um, sort of a roughneck kind of area. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, regardless of what the culture is there, they've... They've also been pretty well known for for pretty not as good as Sonoma or um, Napa, but pretty good grapes. It's it's a it's a slightly different climate than those places, but it has been known for growing interesting Zinfandel in particular, but also interesting Cabernet Sauvignon and um, other red varietals. Now, this is a a Zinfandel, but it's a it's blended with other things as as a lot of uh, wines are. If it's billed as a cab or if it's billed as, you know, Sauvignon Blanc or whatever, a lot of times they'll blend it with other things. So this particular one is the Ravenswood uh, Old Vine Lodi Zinfandel. Uh-huh. It's 82% Zinfandel, 17 Petit Syrah, which, Mason, you'll remember when we had that Petit Petit. Uh-huh. A large portion of that was Petit Syrah grown in Lodi. And 1%, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, but it's... Alicant or maybe Alicante Beauchette. I'm, huh. I'm not sure how to say that exactly, but that is that's their blend. So it's uh, 82% Zimadel, 17% Petit Syrah, and 1% Al- Alicante. I'm going to say Beauchette. B O U S C H E T. Beauchette. Um, I think so. Okay. Well, I I don't know how else to say it, but I didn't realize it was a blend. Yeah, it is a blend. Huh. Um, but. This has actually come up in a lot of the reading and stuff that I've been doing over the last week or so, is that in the United States, well, in other regions as well, from state to state, it depends on which state you're in and which locality and what labeling laws are there. You don't, If you're going to bill something as a Zinfandel or as a Pinot Noir, it doesn't have to be 100% whatever that is. It just has to be over a certain percentage. Yeah. And this one is, is blended with... Uh, Zimadel and Petit Syrah. Now, I've actually already had a glass of this and wrote down some notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wrote down was that it's it's fourteen point five percent alcohol by volume. Wait, but, which which year do you have? Twenty fifteen. Well, the back of twenty fifteen says thirteen point five. At least the one I have. Which one do you have? I have the Ravenwood Zinfandel California twenty fifteen old one. Does it say Lodi? Not that I'm seeing. I think you but... and I have different wines because they do have they have a regular. Zinfandel, and then they have a Lodi Zinfandel. Oh, crap. <laughs> okay, well, then I guess we're not drinking the same one. So the one I have is a blend, and it's mm-hmm. and it's 14.5% alcohol by volume. So this will be interesting, though. We have very similar wines, but not the same wine. Yes. <laughs> uh, so they actually, this company, Ravens Ravenswood, their Zinfandels range from like eight ninety nine a bottle all the way up to like close to $100 a bottle. And then they oh. have they have some that you can only get at the winery, which are even more. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So they do a very wide range of Zinfandels. That's their specialty they do. I think they do some other stuff as well. Uh, but Zinfandel does seem to be their specialty. Now, one thing also I wanted to point out about Joel per- uh, Peterson, the godfather of Zin, that has nothing to do with the wine. The the picture that he chose of himself on the Ravenswood website is him with a gun, <laughs> which is very strange for California to me. But it's also he is technically like a farmer and lives <laughs> and lives 
probably out in a relatively rural area. I mean, people don't really think about California, where when they think about California, a lot of times they think of like Los Angeles, San Francisco, you know, even Sacramento sometimes, or San Diego, all kind of big cities, but the majority of the state's rural. Yeah, people don't, like, this is something my wife talks about a lot. Like, California is very red most places. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's so many people in the blue part that you'd never know the difference. But like, yeah. Central Valley is, which is where Lodi is in Stockton, um, it's this massive, massive agricultural mecca of California. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that's super not like the traditional California surfer dude, man. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's not. And that was one thing that when uh, when we moved to Virginia, the we would get this occasionally from people. They'd be like, oh, where are you from? And we'd be like, California. And they'd go, like they'd give the hang loose sign and be like, shock bra and like that kind of thing. And we were like, no, 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 Northern California. And they oh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Because <laughs> it, it, is, it is a different place than if you live in Southern California, it's different, Northern California. And this is a large reason why the Jefferson movement has picked up a lot of steam. For those of you who don't uh -huh. know, Jefferson was supposed to be, well, there's an argument about it, but it was going to be another state. It's North, Northern California when it joined the Republic was supposedly going to be divided up into two. And there's some, there's some debate on whether that was actually the case or not. And then in the early 1900s, it picked up steam again because a lot of the Northern Californians were like, look, we're not getting any representation in Sacramento. Um, and the the modern Jefferson movement wants to I don't know the exact numbers but they want to change the constitution of California to make it so every county has to have at least one representative in the state legislature uh -huh. which they said if that was done and apportioned correctly based on population would make the California legislature like 6000 members <laughs> and they said that would just that would give them another point to show that this state is ungovernable it Right now, you've got large swaths of California who are represented by one individual, and mm -hmm. and that one individual, you know, he'll represent 15, 20 counties, and the counties are, again, kind of this is inside baseball a little bit, but the county system in California is, is a little bit different than the way um than the way the county system works in a lot of other states like the mm -hmm. the counties in california do have a lot of autonomy in uh -huh. it's almost like well it's not almost like it is like this is that the county system was set up when california was a republican or was a republic for like four months or however long it was a republic and it just kind of stuck with that model where the counties were like little states uh -huh. and that's kind of sort of what's going on there but the people who live in Northern California are very unhappy about the representation they get because they get dominated by Los Angeles and San Francisco and to a lesser extent, San Diego. And the, the way that they, the way that San Francisco and Los Angeles view Northern California is, is sort of like a, like a pet project. So you'll get these people who come in from the Bay area or from LA as administrators into Northern California. And they're like, Oh, we're protecting all of these trees. And you're, you know, you're in some tiny town in the middle of nowhere, and they're like, this is our only source of jobs. Uh -huh. I mean, th these are Trump people, basically, is they're like, this, they're hardworking, they're kind of rough and tumble type people, and they work with their hands and their muscles for a living, and they're loggers, and then you get some, like, yuppie from LA or San Francisco comes in, it's like, okay, we can't cut down these trees anymore, you're out of work. Well, it's like uh, the episode of King of the Hill where Bobby, uh, like, the state yuppie from Austin. Yeah, right. Like, and like he's the uh, protect Bobby from getting beat up by Hank or something like that. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's, that's that's like the third episode. Is that really the third? Yeah, episode? yeah, it's very early in on the show. Yeah, when he go and when he and Hank always calls him Twig Boy. <laughs> get over <laughs> here, Twig Boy. 
Yeah, there's a, this reminds me of uh, so when my cousin got married last year. You know, he's his dad was born and raised in California, and they you know have like a 99 year lease on some cabin way up in the way up in the mountains, which is super cool, but like hard as crap to get to. Yeah. <laughs> kind of terrifying for me because the roads are you know, not great mm-hmm. and it's got a big problem with that but um so he moved but he grew up in pennsylvania and then you know he moved out to california with his brother like after his brother got a job out there and then he graduated college you know went out there as well so they got married like um, he got married in like uh like the i'm drawing a blank on the plates but uh the santa cruz mm-hmm. like they got married, but not in santa cruz they got married hour away from santa cruz in the mountains which is you know like 15 minutes by any other place but california right yeah yeah away from santa cruz essentially but it was you know that classic you know you're you know doing switchbacks up the mountain and Mm -hmm. you know it's just like half the road's washed out it's like you know this area this this thing of california you don't like if you've been to san diego which you know i love a lot yeah in la yeah those are california the rest of the state is so different Oh, yeah. Even, like, just being outside of Santa Cruz, which is, you know, not some bastion of conservatism. <laughs> like, just the pure difference of, like, you know, communities where, like, yeah, the cop, you know, there's three cops, but he's not ratting you out to the stadium. You know, like, that sort of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, I mean, it is. It's their, they're like, you know, their communities. And I think, I think most of the countries actually like that, even in, and this is sort of, I'm sort of getting exposed to this a little bit since I've been following Larry Sharp's campaign in new york is he's mostly campaigning in these kind of small towns where you know people i guess would be you know red voters and if you look at the voting map by county in new york it is mostly red voters but then you get to the boroughs in new york city and it's just there it's such a dense population and those people get to tell the people upstate what to do And it's sort of a similar situation. I think most of the country has a lot of that same situation going on. Like even in here in Texas, although the rural communities have a lot more say when it comes to like red versus blue, although, you know, for you and me, red versus blue doesn't mean a huge amount. It's all kind of ends up being John McCain, but, um, whoever's law that is Horton's law and Woods law. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Either way. But, uh, interesting that you should mention winding roads because, Tonight we're doing spooky stories in uh-huh. honor of Halloween, and my spooky well, story. Well, we're gonna k- keep doing the wind. I just thought it was interesting that you mentioned okay, that because okay. my spooky story takes place on a winding California road Ooh. in the mountains. Terrifying. Yes, terrifying. Well, terrifying because yeah, those roads get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the one that you have. I, I don't know how much research you did on it, but it's well, going to be clearly different than the one I have. Well, let me read you the back. Okay. A wine specifically. Experience what a true Zinfandel is meant to be. Our Zin is a robust red, brimming with mouth-watering flavors of spicy ripe raspberry, cherry, and poisonberry. I would not say it's spicy, and I would say the flavors are slightly muted, but it is very mouth-watering. It's thirteen and a half percent alcohol by volume, and you know it's one of those things. Like I, I think I paid eight ninety-nine. Okay. Yeah, it was like on sale from twelve or something like that. Like a lot of the wine at Kroger this week was on like the normal wine was on sale. Um, I'm I know this is a blend. I sent you a link. To okay. The website they didn't have. The, I couldn't find this one. Oh, okay. So I found one on like b21.com or something like that. Oh, okay. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where like so I was drinking gnarly head, mm-hmm. um, and they had a blend that I had gotten for my wife for cooking purposes. Um, like, well, we bought an early head. We cooked with it. It was really good. And I tried to rebuy the same wine because I was like, I'll review 
show, you know, da da And it ended up being, um, Sin was the main wine type, blue wine grape in it. And it was more flavorful than this. Now it was, I don't know what this is blended with, because unless this is just straight Sin, which would be interesting if it was, but I'm pretty sure it's a blend from the links I could find, but it didn't say what. Okay. Um, you know, it's one of those, like, it's not that you've been pumping up Zinfandel, but I've been looking forward to it. Okay. Um, so this is kind of a muted flavors. Um, uh, very blood colored, uh, very dark in color. Bouquet is light, um, but red, you know, like that, like the, like the tannic back end of red. Right. Like flavor. That's kind of the smell. Uh, let me take another sip real quick. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like that, um, I didn't, uh, I read it at all other than I just drew some air across it. Um, yeah, like cherry kind of the main flavor for me mm-hmm. um but that was more tannic and more spicy on the back end but i don't know if that's me trying to put something into it right <laughs> that's not there. well you know why it it, it's, it gives you that mouthwateriness is it's the acidity. So mm-hmm. Zinfandel is, I guess, famous or well-known for being very, very acidic, mm-hmm. and um, which can give you citrusy flavors, but it doesn't tend to be citrusy. It tends to be more red fruity from what I've been reading. Now, the one I have, um, I have I've, I've had two Zinfandels this week. So I've had this, this one, which I had a glass of, and I think it kind of tastes a little bit minerally, but they don't say anything about that in the description. Uh-huh. I don't think it's a bad minerally, but it's, um, I would say it's like minerals mixed with red fruit and it's very acidic, not very tannic, um, but it is a full bodied kind of heavier wine. Um, the one that I had prior to this, which I have to go look through my notes to figure out what that Zimandel was, I would say was a lot more spicy. Huh. It, it had kind of a pepperiness to it. This, this one from Lodi, which I expected to be a little more harsh, um, is not very harsh. It's fairly smooth. It is acidic. You know, when you take the, a sip of an acidic wine, for me, it gives you that mouthwateringness, but it also gives you kind of like a, a burst of sweat a little bit. Not, not sweat exactly, but it gives me a, a dampness on my skin and, um, that, I associate with like lemons. So it doesn't have a lemony flavor, but when I eat lemons, a lot of times I'll get kind of like a sweat and that's what I get with this. So it does feel very acidic. Now there's something that's really interesting about Zinfandel. One of the reasons that it is a, a popular type of grape is because it has uh, the largest amount of a type of um, uh, acid called, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's a uh, tartaric acid. Uh-huh. And so they do use it also to blend with things sometimes because of the tartaric acid. This is a, this acid is what um, cream of tartar is derived out of. I knew, I knew it sounded familiar. Yeah. So, and I'm not tannic because I always get that, I always get that wrong. Okay. It's acidic. Okay, yeah, because tannic is more like when it dries your mouth out. Yeah. A- acidic is more like when you take a sip and you and you get like a liquid under your tongue. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's more like acid. So I've been learning a little bit about over this week about how to describe wine better, mostly mm-hmm. for the show, but also so I can like write notes and figure out what I was talking about, you know? So you and I have made this joke before where we'll be reading it and they'll be like, it tastes like monk fruit. And I'm like, what the, what is a monk fruit? I don't even know how, I don't know how that tastes. And, or they'll be like, it reminds me of dragon fruit fresh off of the cactus in late September, deep in the heart of New Mexico. And I don't know, I have, I have no basis of experience with that. So I would have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. I was reading a lot about it. And it is the opinion of a lot of people who are involved in wine that they do this because 
wines of similar varieties from similar areas taste roughly the same. If, mm-hmm. you, if you're an expert, you can tell the difference. But if you're just a regular person and you know you like, in, like in this case, you know that you like Lodi Zinfandel. A Lodi Zinfandel from Freak Show and a Lodi Zinfandel from, from uh, Ravenswood are going to be roughly the same. Mm-hmm. They won't be exactly the same. And somebody who is has probably had a lot of it to drink or knows what they're looking for can tell the difference. So it's the opinion of a lot of kind of the more down-to-earth wine drinkers, which I guess you and I are kind of, we're like amateur wine drinkers aspiring to be down-to-earth wine drinkers. Uh, we're very, very, you know, what's that? 30 episodes into a wine podcast. Yeah. We're we're uh, just wine drinkers. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the case. So like there's a there's like a growing trend or whatever amongst sommeliers to stop doing that to stop going like oh it's this it's this so the the explanation that was given to me for it was the reason that they do that is because you get paid to write reviews and if all your reviews are the same you won't get paid to write reviews yeah so there's a market incentive which is interesting that there's a market in oh that you know i just had another sip of this and one of the things they point out is vanilla and now i am tasting that a little bit okay so that's interesting but anyways uh, one of the things they, they point out is that if you're reviewing Freak Show from Lodi and you're reviewing Ravenswood from Lodi and you say that they taste exactly the same, then you're not going to get hired to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the goal, I guess, is to start um, making things a little simpler for people who read it. But on the other hand, you need to be able to put in these complicated reviews for people to pay you to do the reviews or to, to make it so that it's something that people want to read. And well, I think that also it's the built-in ex, you know, so that's, that's, it's also the built-in expectation. Like, you know, when people, you know, you and I were talking about not becoming wine snobs, not yeah. going, you know, you go to the wine tasting place and they're like, and they're like, the vanilla is on the aftertaste on seventh sip of the karate chop to the face right you know like we didn't want to be those people but like i think that's kind of the thing is people expect hoity-toity yeah they do to some degree but it also is a turnoff for a lot of people or it's not not a turnoff exactly but it's intimidating so i I think that's kind of the the that was the position online for a long time yeah because beer didn't have the microbreweries right and i think with the microbreweries coming in people going like yeah we're gonna make incredibly complex beers within a year and a half of opening you know we're gonna be doing sours we're gonna be doing you know triple ipas and they're doing these super complex hyper specific beer types and wine sitting there going like we got zin and you're like well, what's the difference well this one tastes like monk fruit I, I, right. I know, you know so i have that description but um you know people are like oh crap <laughs> like we we're really getting blown out of the water here by you know the fact that the millennials are like oh i can beer is accessible because mm-hmm. you can go like you know um, the neighbor across the street. Her brother's in town. He's a big, like, microbrewery guy. And it's like, there are 14 in the area right now. Yeah. They're pretty, like, high end. It's not like, uh, like, oh, this one's barely making it. They're all doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people go out there and they hang out all weekend and try yeah. whatever the new thing is. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's, and it's, and I think that might be the case, but part of what, like this guy that I was, I was reading, he, I can't remember what his blog is, but I'll have to look it up. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes, but yeah, he, his blog, he basically said when he first started out, he wanted to, he had simple, he thought he simplified it to nine, fla- nine possible flavors per variety. 
And he hmm. said, and he says at this point, he's, you know, five or six years in or, or maybe more in, he says at this point, he's simplified it to three per variety. Oh. And he says, he says, because when people come in, he, th- if they don't know a lot about wine, he knows what they want to know. And so he says, you know, he's a, he's a wine seller. He doesn't make it, but he's, he says they want to know. Um, is it light? They want to know, is it fruity? They want to know if it's sweet or dry and they want to know if it's tannic or not tannic. Mm -hmm. And he he said, these are like the, these are like the basic things they want to know. And the, there's another, there's a lady who I've been listening to her podcast from a wine for normal people, which her podcast, I would say is pretty accessible for most people, but she does get into a lot of topics that are even complicated for me. And I read about this stuff quite a bit just because it's interesting to me now. But, um, but she says like the way that she tries to present it, cause she tries to do the same thing. She's like, I want to make this accessible. If you want to talk to me about the complexities, I'm willing to go into full, uh, full like wine snob mode. But, but she, her thing is she's got four categories. She says, I talk about alcohol. I talk about, um, the, uh, sugars. So it's either sweet or dry mm-hmm. tannins and acidity. And those are, those are her four categories. She says, so those are the four categories I'll talk to you about. And I, and she says she'll get complicated on it depending on what you want. But in their experience, they will get people who come in and they're like, well, I like, I want a sweet wine. And she'll be like, do you mean sweet in that it has a lot of sugars and it's not dry? Or do you mean sweet as in it's fruity? And because a fruity wine is tends to be highly acidic, but a, like a Sauvignon Blanc is a dry wine, but it is fruity. Yeah, it is very fruity, but yeah. it's not sweet in that. Yeah, like, in sweet, a, yeah, good sweet. right. Or like what I would call like nauseatingly sweet. Yeah. So I just think that's interesting, and it's it's helped me to kind of try to simplify my notes a little bit. So just on this particular one, which I said ten minutes ago or whatever, I was going to read my notes on it. I said uh, the look the look is pale with hints of brown, so it's like a light red but kind of a brownie red. Um, the the smell was uh, mud and French bread and alcohol, and the taste was very acidic, a little bit peppery, red fruit. That was my takeaway. Okay, so um, smell on mine, uh, no mud. Red fruit, um, the spiciness, I, I'm starting to get that in the taste. Um, but you said it, um, how did you describe the mouth body of yours again? I thought it was full-bodied. Mine doesn't feel that way. Okay. It feels very viscous, um, which is kind of the acidity. Okay. Because, um, you know, when, so for those of you who haven't heard me say this before, when you know, there's acidity in a item, it's literally like sloughing off your, the cells of whatever surface it's touching. So um, that, you know, adds to the viscosity of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a lack of tendency to flow. So, but this is, you know, this is one of those things where this is a variety that I really like um, because I know there's a lot of stuff in there. And like, I and I, I know we don't know the blend fully of mine, but I think I'm getting some of the Syrah, like the Petite Syrah. Okay. Because like, I remember like the Petite, Petite, neither one of us were super excited by it, but we were interested in the great varieties. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely one of those ones where, like, I wish I had gotten the same one as you. So I wish I figured out the Lodi part, but <laughs> may not have been available. Uh, but I think it's really good to have two very close, and even more close than the fact that they're both Lodi, or possibly Lodi, Zinfandels. Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah. like, they're from the same producer, which right. is interesting. Because it's kind of like, is this one just less, like, is the same blend type, but maybe less Zin to be the cheaper price point? Because I think this one's price point is probably a couple dollars less than the one you have. Yeah, the one I got is 15 yeah, but but one, it wasn't on sale. Yours was on sale. Well, this one is normally 12 something. Oh, okay. I'm remembering the, the ones correctly. It's the, I think the seven deadly, or the seven, the seven sinsies. Yeah. For the Michael David one. I think that one was normally 15. 
and this one is normally twelve ninety eight or something like that, thirteen bucks. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure I got it for ten to eight. So, but my wife and I also got <laughs> three bottles of wine total. So, yeah, we got four bottles of wine at the grocery store. One for cooking, which was the uh, that variety that you were talking, Tempranelli. Yeah. Oh and yeah. We got one of, and then uh, well, we got two of the same one of those because we're gonna cook with it and then drink it um, as our wine or drink with dinner. And then we got their G variety. Um, so I think what we try to do at some point is we can get um, what we should do is let's just you know maybe we cut this out. Um, you send me one of the Texas Tempranellis. Oh, oh, I know what you're saying. It's not Tempranelli. It's uh, hold on. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what it is. It's uh, yeah. Hang on. I got it written down here in my book. I, I know. I think I'm missing a. Uh, yeah, it's uh, temp, Tempranillo. Yeah, Tempranillo. Yeah, T T E M P R A N I L L O. Yeah, I'll try to get one of the Texas ones. Okay. Like somehow I'll get one of the Texas ones. Yeah, I like that varietal. And then let me see if I can, let's see if we can get you one of the Chilean ones. Okay. And then kind of do a comparison. That'd be interesting, yeah. Because it's like, I mean, talk about like two different places. Like Texas, very specific. You know, not a place that necessarily you associate with wine. Chile, which very interestingly you do associate with wine. Mm-hmm. Like the, the environment in like the like Chile, you know, has a lot to do with Andes and stuff like that. Doesn't necessarily kind of lead you to think wine, right? Like the growing environment. So to me, that's really interesting. Right? Like Texas, which I mean, <laughs> Texas is pretty huge, and Chile is very large too. Mm-hmm. Chile being vertically very large, and Texas just being larger in general. Right? Um, you know, you think about Texas, and like for me. Like, I think Texas environment, I always think West Texas. I don't think anything on the Gulf. Right. Like, I don't know what Dallas is like, but, like, I always think of, like, West Texas, like, the up near Amarillo or the way out near New Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's kind of how I thought about it, too. Dallas is more, it's similar to Virginia, but slightly drier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the plants, I would say, are more close to, like, California. Yeah. So. But uh, let's get into Spooky, spooky Stories. Okay, so then some thunder claps and scary sounds. But uh, so the story that I came up with for Halloween, or I didn't come up with it. It's something that happened to me when I was a kid. Okay, that is the closest thing I have to a ghost story. Okay, so this was you know we were talking earlier about the how like when you're driving up in the mountains in California, the roads are super narrow and they're just like winding around, winding around, winding around. Like possibly half of it's fallen away. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on, and you know it's and this area that I'm talking about is in the mountains, but it's not quite the high mountains yet. It's it's above the foothills, but not in the high mountains. Mm-hmm. So they're not as bad as that, but they're still very narrow and it's very rural. Like they didn't get internet there until like 1998, and I, I mean you probably could get satellite up there, but they. Uh, I remember my aunt was like, "Well, internet's just not available." But we were up visiting my aunt who lived in Grizzly Flats at the time. And Grizzly Flats is like an old mining town that the population now is like a thousand people or something like that. But it was a very small town and it's way up in the mountains. And to get up there, you have to go up uh, a road called uh, Bucks Bar Bucks Bar Road, which crosses over several like gullies with these like old concrete looking bridges. But they're, you know, they're like, they're like concrete and rock bridges. And they're like one lane bridges or very, very narrow. So like maybe you could get two cars across, but, um, you don't really want to risk it. Yeah. You don't want to risk it. So usually you just kind of like pull to one side and stop and they cross over. So we went up to Ronnie Sue's house in Grizzly Flats and she has two kids, my cousins, or it's my mom's best friend, but we call her aunt Ronnie Sue and her kids Mm -hmm. are our cousins. Uh, and 
So this was back in the 90s, like early 90s, maybe 91, 92, when we had a, a big old station wagon. That's how she hauled the kids around back then. <laughs> and uh, we went up there, and it was pretty close to Halloween because we were there for like a school carnival for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And where her kids went to school, it was an elementary school up there. And so we, mom didn't like to drive those roads when it got dark. So we started coming back pretty early, probably around four or five when it was getting dark, but not, not super dark yet. And on the way back, we were driving down that road, Bucks Bar Road, which is a small two lane road. And we came up to one of the little bridges that go across and we saw that there was like an old Buick coming the other way and so we kind of like pulled to the side so that they could come across and the buick was coming relatively quickly down the hill and um it and the buick smashes into the side of the concrete bridge holy moly yeah and the tire pops off like come like rolls down you know rolls down the hill or rolls down the across the bridge and like falls off the side of the ravine and uh my mom was like oh my goodness and so she, you know, pulls up close to the lady and, or it was a lady driving an old blue hair, you know, like a really old woman. And mom, you know, rolls down the window and it's like, are you okay? And the lady is like, yeah, I'm okay. Uh, but you know, I don't think I can get my car, uh, out of here. And my son lives up the road. That's where I was going. And so my mom says, okay, well, you know, she, we had a full car we, all the kids were there. So, um, my mom's like, well, what we'll do is you can, we'll all like squish into the car and you can get in and we'll turn around and we'll drive you up to your son's house. Mm-hmm. And while they're sitting there talking, another, another big old truck comes, you know, down the road behind us and a guy gets, you know, a big, big old mountain man, you know, some rural guy who lives up there with, you know, plaid shirt, cut off sleeves, that kind of thing gets out and he comes over and he's like, Hey, what's going on? And mom says, or points out to the lady that, oh, she, you know, she struck the side, her car, her car's, and he's like, yeah, there's no way we're going to be able to get this out. Uh, you'll need a tow. And they explained to the guy that her son lives up the road and he goes, okay, well, um, I can take you in my truck, but I'm not super comfortable taking you alone in my truck. So what we'll do is he, you know, he indicated that my mom and he would both, we would both drive up the road because the roads are too narrow to turn around in. So you, have, so you have to go to a part of the road where there's a, a pull-off area. Yeah. So he said, well, I know there's a pull-off area up the hill here a little ways, maybe half a mile. So what we'll do is we'll drive up there and we'll turn around. We'll come back and pick you up. And you can ride in my truck with me to the old lady. And Marta, my mom, will follow behind just because he didn't want the – if anything happened, you know, he doesn't want any sort of weird implication going on that there's, like, this old mountain man with an hey, old lady in the car. Yeah, he's a responsible guy. So my mom's like, yeah, that, that sounds great. So we both – drove up the hill and got to that pull-off point. And it, like I said, it's maybe maybe half a mile up the road. And I went and I went onto Google Maps to see like how this all was laid out because I wanted it to be fresh in my, my head. So it's, yeah, it's maybe like half, half a mile up. There's like a pull-off area. Mm-hmm. And um, so we go up there, we turn around and when we come back, we get to the bridge and the car's gone and the old lady's gone. Oh. And there's, it's, there's nothing there. And I was like, that is so weird. The guy, the, the truck driver, dude, he's not a truck driver, the guy with the big truck, he's freaked out. He's like, there's no way she could have pulled that car away that quickly because we only went up the road for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And my mom says, well, you know, this is the time before cell phones. So my mom was like, well, if somehow she got the car started and it's driving down the road with three tires, this might be dangerous, so we need to go find her. <laughs> and so... She, 
so she said, let's drive up the road and look for her. And so we spent the next two or three hours driving up and down uh, Bucksbarg Road looking for this old lady's car or any sort of sign of it. But, like, the guy, eventually the truck dude gave up. He's like, this is too weird. I don't know what's going on, and I've got places to be. So he took off. But my mom, you know, being my mom, was very – Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very worried that this old lady decided that she could limp to her son's house. And it's very possible that – the car was not as damaged as we thought, but the tire was off. The if car off the tire. There's no way you limp somewhere. I mean, it was it was freaky. And I also checked with my mom about the story, and she was like, "Yeah, that's basically what happened." She she had a couple of details that were different, but she said, "Yeah, no, the car like there was no way that car could have gone anywhere." And so, if you know, under if in the time it took us to go half a mile up the road and turn around and come back, a big flatbed had taken the car away. That's the only thing she can think of that could have been the explanation. But you guys should have seen a flatbed. Yeah, we should have. But it was you know it was weird. But we drove up and down that road. We got to there's like a little town up there, so we got to the town, and mom went to a payphone and called Ronnie sue and said hey have you heard anything about this and ronnie sue said no we just got home and you know up there they've got sort of the grapevine of housewives so they they would call each other and tell each other what's going on and stuff and so ronnie sue calls a bunch of different people and they don't they didn't hear anything she knew somebody who lived by this bridge and she called them they said they didn't know anything and uh my mom said okay that's weird i guess we'll just head home so we headed home and um but every year we always talk about this story around Halloween because it it's like the closest thing we have to a ghost story. It was so bizarre that this lady just kind of vanished. Yeah. And uh, now, do you know what a fetch is? You ever heard of a fetch? It doesn't, it doesn't bring anything to okay. So in Yeah, so in Irish folklore, there's something called a fetch. And a fetch is like, it's kind of like a ghost, but it's a ghost of somebody who hasn't died yet. So okay. you would see a ghost if somebody's going to die. But it's... It oh, would, okay. So it's their ghost, like, announcing that their death is imminent. Yeah, so it's kind of a weird thing. So uh, several years later, I don't know if this part of the story is true or not. My cousin Sarah, who used to just love us telling her this ghost story, told us that a old lady in a maroon Buick died on that bridge later on. Mm -hmm. And this bridge is – it's a narrow bridge. People – crash into it all the time according to my cousins because it's you know it's it especially when it snows it the edges of it get uh kind of obscured by the snow and Let's it, be honest, it's a government bridge it's not, it's not. <laughs> right well that's that was actually going to be my punchline to the end of the story as i say i don't know if this was a fetch or not but what i do know is the government built this bridge and they caused that lady to hit the edge <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that was that's always been our favorite like ghost story was the the ghosts of bucks bar bridge um, just wow. a just a very weird situation. Never never really had anything quite like it. But we every year we talk about it. And what's funny? I'll go ahead and add this in. It'll make it less spooky. But I started. We have a family chat in GChat. So I I posted my recollection of the story and. My sister one down from me, she's like, I don't think that was in the station wagon. I think that's when we had the red van. And I said, well, if it's when we had the red van, it would have been in like 95. I would have been much older. And my mom comes back. She's like, no, 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 no. It was, we were definitely in the station wagon. And then my youngest sister, who wasn't alive when the story takes place, Uh goes, no, I remember it being in the red van. And (laughs) and I go, do you remember being in the red van when this happened? She's like, yeah, yeah, I remember the old lady. And I was like, this was like three years before you were born. (laughs) And it it just kind of goes to show 
like how easily manipulated memory is mm-hmm. is that Jody Beth has heard this story from us so many times that she places herself in the story even though it was many years before she was born yeah my, my little brother had a when we were a kid, kids, um, there was some story I was telling, you know, kidding it up with mm-hmm. the story. And my little brother, like, was talking about somehow this story, you know, like it had happened to him or something like that. <laughs> Long story short, he claims, I remember before I was born because he just wouldn't give up. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so, it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, you know my brother because like that's something he would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's but that's kind of sort of Jody Beth is sort of like that too. Is she'll be like, no, this was definitely when I was alive, but like I we know the we know roughly the year it was. <laughs> so you know she wasn't alive, <laughs> but uh, just a it's just a funny story and or just an unusual kind of creepy story. And I do have one more kind of creepy story that involves the winding rural roads of California, but I believe that. You have a spooky story to tell. Well, thunderclap, thunderclap. <laughs> I, I will say, um, I being an atheist, have never, even before I was I don't have any spooky occurrences in my life. I have times that I've been afraid. You know, like, I'm really not good with heights. Right. Like, I can watch an airplane take off, like, from the window, like, watch it keep go to 30,000 feet or whatever, it doesn't matter. But, like, you put me in. Uh, going up my grandparents' house when I was a kid, like their stairs, they just creeped a lot. You know, we had a one-story house, so I was older. But like, I always thought the house was gonna fall down. You know, yeah. stuff like that. Like um, ranger towers, where you, you know, you legally can go up and you know do things, but it's an open metal staircase. Mm-hmm. I was a fat kid. I always was worried I'd get sucked through the things. So, <laughs> you know, like irrational fears. So as we've talked about, and you know. I'm gonna go super deep into this, but when you first started renting the house that I found for you, yeah, <laughs> your parents were maybe moving to Hawaii. Um, we like just started partying, like we were. I mean, honestly, like we were 19 year old kids who found the fountain of liquor or something. Yeah, we were just going at it like crazy, and then we were creating different ways to smoke weed and stuff. And, That's right. Yeah, and and, and other things too, not just. We, like, well, I think that's when we were doing black magic and stuff too. It's a little, little outside of that period. Okay, like because that first three weeks we were just going balls to the wall, like just not, not a good like looking back. It's like there, there was no logic to this, and you know as we found out several times there were you know people significantly younger than us because we were both you know twenty two, twenty one. Yeah, you know, and like shouldn't have been hanging out with these kids because we didn't know how old they were. But that's, right. You know, it doesn't matter. So we were hanging out at the house and we were in the garage. And so what's funny about this house that Jacob had rented, when I grew up, I grew up on the other side of this neighborhood that's like was separated by a road. It doesn't feel like it's part of the neighborhood. So they feel like two separate neighborhoods, but it was the exact same layout. This house I grew up in until I was like, you know, 10, like I was in third grade. So we we're like, you know, back and forth in the kitchen. And my future wife is there with us this time. So... We have been smoking and drinking and drinking heavily, and there are a bunch of people around that we don't necessarily know. Now, my wife is there, um, you know, you're there, Nate's there from, you know, bonus episodes, Nate is there, and um, so one of our good friends, or well, one of your good friends, and the person I've always admired a lot, Seth is there. So Seth is there with uh, London, and, you know, we're hanging out, and for some reason, like, you know, we are just, like, this is the night of going wild. <laughs> like, no one's no one's naked or anything like that, but we're all heavily intoxicated. We've been smoking a lot, just 
really, really messed up. And for whatever reason, like Seth and Nate, or Seth and uh, London, they're not really that messed up, but they've got to leave. Or they're going to go to like Wendy's or something. I don't remember what. So, you know, we're in the garage. And one of the things that you and I had always worried about was it's a residential neighborhood. It's not like it's right next to the college frat town where there used to be being loud. And you and I can be very loud when heavily intoxicated, especially at this point in our lives. Yeah. You know, we're being loud as crap. And we had always kind of worried about, like, what if the cops show up? And, like, I think this is, the like, the funniest thing that you had ever told me at the time was, like, your escape plan had been to run over, the, run to the backyard and just leap the fence and basically jump onto the roof of the other house. Like, in my memory, this is what yeah. your, your escape plan was, was to bolt over your back fence, which is, you know, six-foot-tall fence. And, I mean, you're just five to six inches tall in that. And you were, as you're in good shape now, you were in good shape then, too. You could easily do this. And then, like, my well, I think the logic was that you were just going to, because the other house behind it was a one-story house, so you were just going to leap that, leap onto the roof of that house and just, you know, run into the night <laughs> something. Yeah, happened. yeah. So, Seth and London, you know, leave, or I can't remember if they were coming or leaving, but so we're in the garage, and, like, you know, you and I are, like, hosting this party with Nate, but, like, most of the people there are Nate's friends. Yeah. And, again, everybody's highly intoxicated, and then just, boom, boom, boom. Open up, it's the police. And I, like, I look at you, like, what the f do we do? Like, you're basically out the back door. <laughs> like, you know, we're just crapping ourselves. And my future wife doesn't seem all that, you know, in her memory, she's not that bothered by it. She knew what was going on. In my memory, she looked a little nervous. Uh, but I was highly infatuated with her at the time, so, you yeah. know, maybe I was giving her, like, a little more than she was getting. So, it turns out, Seth thought it would be absolutely hilarious to bang into the stupid garage door, shouting that he was the police. Yeah, yeah. Well, the bejesus out of us. Well, like, not only that, so he left, and, I, you know, you and I have had experienced this many times under the influence of various things, the time distortion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in my memory, it was like an hour prior that he had left. I think it just took him so long to get out of the house. Yeah. My guess is he probably ran into other people in the house and then, because mm -hmm. there was people all throughout the house and he probably, then he finally got around and then banged on it and was like, VBPD. And like the first time he, he banged, I went, what? And then he said, VBPD as loud as he could. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's when I came up with the escape plan. It, it was just in the moment. And I was like, Okay, it's it's the police. They're fat. They're lazy. They won't be able to catch me. I can hop these fences, and I have the height advantage. So, like, my idea was I would run out the back door, hop the fence, then just just keep hopping fences until I was like all the way out to the boulevard. And I was like, and and at the time, like, I was very confident that I could do that. Now, I was probably too intoxicated to be able to do that, but fitness wise, I could have done that if I was sober. Here's the thing: like, even intoxicated, I think you could have done it. Yeah. <laughs> been very comical right right i would have been falling all over the place but i remember and so the second time i get up and then they start laughing outside and then your wife starts laughing and going jake it's seth yeah and i was like oh oh and like i wasn't happy for the rest of the night <laughs> yeah like it was, it was funny because like both you and i's response was like get the f out of here yeah well because i remember thinking about it and i was like look i'm the one who's leasing the house i could i could make the claim that i wasn't there but i have stuff to lose everybody else here doesn't none of them are working uh yeah. or, or maybe or maybe they were working but their their jobs are at gamestop and i have a real job <laughs> and yeah, exactly <laughs> 
So like I was like in my head going like how do I escape and uh, yeah that was that was that was scary because it's very funny now but in the moment it was terrifying and that's that's the funny thing it's like that was a like that was a a level of you I've never seen before and I've never seen again yeah because like you, we you know we we've done a lot of stuff together we've been different places together but we've never been in like a dangerous situation together yeah like, we have done stupid things like drive or it shouldn't have been but we've never been like oh we're walking along and there's like three you know guys with guns or like dangerous animal or something like that yeah so the, the, the fact that we both have the same like how do we get out of your <laughs> responses right well, <laughs> so I, funny. and i have a very like I mean, i'm sure everybody does i have a very extreme fight or flight response Mm-hmm. And it's and it's very much a um, different personality than than my normal personality. You know, normally I'm very jovial or whatever. But like when I get into fight mode, I'm a different kind of animal. And when I get into flight mode, I'm like the fastest motherfucker, <laughs> like running, <laughs> running, like ready to get out of there. But the like my fight, yeah, and. And, like, I have, like, a very, like, like time dilation kind of thing where it's, like, time changes and it's, like, okay, I can make good decisions. And it's, I mean, that's, they've done a lot of research on that. That is a flow state is that you just get everything in, like, everything lines up to survive and you'd make, you either, you just make decisions. Not necessarily the right decisions, but you make decisions and quickly. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that was a that was definitely a spooky story or a scary story for us. Like, yeah, especially because like, like I think to delve into that, like how like think about like a private society, like there are some repercussions that could come from our decisions. Like especially if we had you know like, you know Mr. the landlord had been you know notified that we were allowing and not even we you were allowing you yeah. know, children you know whatever you want to call it people to do things on the property that shouldn't have been done you and i both look at it now going yeah we shouldn't have been doing those things it's not like there are certain things there that we don't think are crimes but there's also the social responsibility but like how messed up is it that so recently i listened to all the radio rock bar episodes available on like uh, itunes Mm -hmm. and in radio rock bar which is a mises Mises institute uh, podcast or event thing um they're talking about like school shootings where like if you sue the police you can't sue the individual police officer you're not getting anything from him so you're suing the city who's already like extolling you for this protection and even then like with cops they have the right not to show up Mm -hmm. like they can just choose not to like be active in that situation but can you like imagine you were that afraid of your private police force yeah you change police forces like and that's the thing is like you know would it have been as bad as we thought it would have been? Maybe not. But still, like, the idea that, like, people didn't show up and, like, that uh, poor black gentleman in, like, was it Dallas? Who the cop, like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they just walked into, the chick The chick cop just walked into, she says she thought it was her apartment. Yeah. And walked in and he wouldn't comply, quote, unquote, and so she just blasted him. Yeah, she walks in and then, like, the cops, like, tried to go, oh, they, she smelled marijuana. Like, that wasn't the original story, but yeah, like, like that's what's crazy about it. Yeah, like it wasn't like they went into immediate like, oh my goodness, she's fired. Like we're gonna do everything we can to figure out what went wrong here. And even if they found out that like, you know, she heard him beating a guy to death or something like that, like maybe there was a legitimate reason she broke in and killed him. They didn't immediately respond with somebody has done something terrible. Let's figure it out. They went into like immediate cover. I'm like it's like she's facing just manslaughter charges. Can you? Right. Imagine? broke into her house and shot her oh yeah you know like especially if you were wearing like a fake like a security guard bat uniform or something like that Mm -hmm. they never hear the end of it and this like like i don't think i think of institutional racism or anything like that 
of like this guy just living his life and like I mean like these people have control of your life and they don't have any like they don't have a fiduciary responsibility to you and they just get more money yeah. well, something goes wrong but we don't have enough training we need more money no you have plenty of training yeah. You're freaking hiring psychos. Well, that's, you know, largely we, we used to always joke about this and this is not, you know, just to, before we get a bunch of emails of people being like, oh, you hate the blue line or whatever. Not all, I, I wouldn't say all cops are bad. Like I've got relatives who are cops and they're, and I think that they try their best, but a lot of times the people who go join the police are people who are like the high school athlete who wasn't able to get into the professionals or something like that. You know, it's like, it's people with a chip on their shoulder. And I did, I've done several ride alongs mm -hmm. with the police. And the, one of the officers that I did a ride along was awesome. And she, you know, she was like, well, you know, I'm not going to give this person a ticket. It's an old lady or whatever. I'll just, I'll just pull her over and say, Hey, you need to watch your speed or whatever. But then like the other dude that I did the ride along with was a jerk. He's like, ha should we give this person a ticket? Yeah, let's give them a ticket. Ha ha And like, the entire time he was there, and then, like, he's sitting there dipping tobacco, which, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But he's like, yeah, I started dipping tobacco because they don't let me smoke. I was like, yeah, they don't let you smoke because it's bad for your health, and dipping tobacco is also bad for your health. That's why that's the rule. And he's like, Jacob, yeah. supposedly bad for your health. Yeah, right, supposedly, right? <laughs> and he's just, but, like, he has, like, a gigantic thing of tobacco in his mouth, talking about how, how awesome it is giving like old ladies tickets and mm -hmm. it's like this is the type of guy who ends up doing that walking into somebody's apartment and shooting him well like not even that like i don't think that's the type of guy who walks into somebody's apartment and shoots that's the type of guy who shoots somebody in a traffic stop he doesn't break into somebody's house yeah that's i guess that's true like the, the type of person who breaks into somebody's house is the type of person who was his victim in high school yeah oh I finally put on the 20 pounds of muscle, you know, like got in shape and like, now I'm going to make a difference. And this is, I was talking to my wife about it. I can't remember what the context was, but we were driving to the grocery store and I was talking about, I think I was talking about the state police or something like that with people for and like, you know, how useless they are, that sort of thing. Yeah. Just out. But like, I'm convinced everyone who joins the police force in their mind is joining for a good reason they want to help you but you know it's like um john bolton thinks he's helping the people of saudi Arabia wherever by bombing them or something like that he's convinced himself of the wrong logic his premise to help isn't necessarily bad mm -hmm. he wants to help people but his way of going about doing it is god awful right and that's what I think about a lot of cops where you know you have the people like the the lady officer who joined the police force because she wanted to help people gets but, you know, she's not getting the welfare calls to grandma's house and making sure grandma's okay. You know, she does have to do the unsavory police work, you know, pull people over that, you know, these revenue-generating things, tasks, and, and that sort of thing. But she wants to help people. And the same with that, you know, crappy guy. He joined the police force wanting to help people, I'm sure. But how they use their authority, how they're trained to use their authority, you know, all these other things go in the way. And that's one of the things that, you know, kind of shows you why a market mechanism is necessary. Because when in the market, you know, you get too many people who aren't providing the right incentive to gather the right people, you start failing. So, mm -hmm. you know, you would only have, like, depending on, like, you always have this constant flux and balance. And that, that's the thing that's so, so much better about private security. It's like, you know, they were, they 
the radio rock part, they're talking about the difference between private security at Disneyland and private security in high schools. And right. people go to Disneyland because it's the happiest place on earth. And you go through a metal detector, you know, you do all these things that people are saying, like, oh, if they start happening in high school, kids will think they're prisons. Well, no, kids already thought they were prisons. Yeah. Because they're so badly run. And this is what Radio Rothbard was talking about. Uh, I think it's Raymond Kraken. It's the guy who hosted his voice is great. I wonder if he, I wonder if that's the same guy. I don't know. I can't remember what the book is called, but it's something along the lines of like whatever happened to the peace officer. Maybe. And the article was basically, it used to be that we called, you know, Andy Griffith type characters, the peace officer. He's a local mm-hmm. peace officer. And now it's, they're all law enforcement officers. Our patrolmen. Yeah. You know. So yeah, like the, much more like a uh, militaristic type terms. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's sort of a similar, sort of a similar thing where like, do you want to be a peace officer or do you want to be a state enforcement agent? Yeah. That's the thing is it, it's not like, you know, these people don't join the police because they want, they, there are, you know, obviously there are bad eggs everywhere and there are people who join the police because they want to board over power. People. Most of them join because they think they can help people. It's just, you know, how can they actually help people? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> the thing. So what is your final story my final spooky story so you know how in the last story that you told there was a a time dilation effect mm-hmm. where it seemed like things were happening at a different rate of speed yes. like we i thought it had been a long time since seth had left and it probably had only been a few minutes well <laughs> when i was a kid before drugs were in my mind at all um well i mean i guess as salvador dolly says i am drugs but um <laughs> The before drugs that are external to my body were in my body. Um, we would go to this Awanas, which is for like it's like it's kind of like I guess Boy Scouts sort of, but for Christians. So it's it's it doesn't actually teach you any skills. It, it's like you memorize Bible verses and play games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not really sure how to describe it. Uh, it's the closest thing I can think of as Boy Scouts because you wear a uniform and you win badges and stuff for memorizing Bible verses. Um, and it's actually, it's a lot of fun, but, uh, which you know, to, I'm sure the way I describe it, it sounds like a nightmare to anybody who never did it, but it, it is a lot of fun. You go there, you, you memorize Bible verses and you get like a Wana bucks. And so you can use those Awana bucks to buy stuff at the Wana store. And then you play yeah. like different game, you play like really like, different games with your team and stuff like that. And it sounds, it sounds very pleasant. It is. It's very wholesome. Yeah. Very wholesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's a lot of fun. You know, I did it for years, but we, Sometimes it was at the church near our house, but a lot of the times it we did, it was at a, an Awana club that was up in. Um, I actually I don't know what the name of the town is that's up there, but it's up toward Placerville. It's actually where my mom went to high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really close to the school. It's called Ponderosa High. And when my mom was a kid, that was the only school, and it's like thirty minutes away from where we lived in Eldorado Hills. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a long way, and. If the freeway is not blocked or anything like that, it's it's just a straight shot on Highway 50, and then you get off on the on the the whatever exit it is, and it's right there. But on this particular day when we were coming back from Awana, something was going on on Highway 50, and so it was like really backed up. And my mom, being having gone to high school there and knowing all of the roads in Eldorado County, basically, was like, "Oh, no problem. We'll just go around this other way. It'll be a little bit longer, but." Um, we won't have to deal with traffic and it's, you know, late, late in the day, it's, you know, maybe six or seven o'clock at night during the summer. And so it's still going to be bright out. And so we go down this other way 
and I, I actually I messaged my mom and asked her about this, and she told me all the road names, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm not going to include all of those because she was like, well, you just you just turn on a Green Valley, and then you're off, off onto Latrobe, and then all the way up here. Like, so she was just telling me all these things. But <laughs> as we're as we're going down, we get on the correct road, and it's actually an area I recognized, I recall, uh, and we get to a point on the road where there's some construction going on, and so there's like a detour sign, and a guy, you know, one of those state workers who sits there and holds the sign slow or, or whatever and he says hey you just got to go up around the road the road comes around and connects and my mom's like yeah i used to have a friend who lived up there i know how to get there so she goes up and we go up that road and it's like 15 minutes and she's like there's i, I don't remember it being this long mm-hmm. and you know we're just still going up there's no turnoffs or anything like that and turns into like 30 minutes and no turnoffs no turnoffs and then finally she comes back out onto the road prior to where we entered oh and we get back to the construction site and the guy is there holding the sign and he's like, hey, you go up there and turn around and come back. You guys have been like, he's like, did you go back around? And she's like, no, like we went up there, but I'm, we came back out in this back part. And he goes, no, the road doesn't go back there. You just go back up and, and follow the road and it'll come back around. And it'll connect later. And she's like, I, I know the road. I know how to get there. And so she goes up, comes back around. Sure enough, it comes back out behind. The guy sees us again. And he goes, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you can't find it. And he's, you know, perturbed because he's just a dude that has to stand there with a the sign all the time. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, but I can let you go through. And so he moves some of the cones and he lets us go through and we go on down the road. And sure enough, just a few minutes later, we come back out in the place behind where the construction site is. And my and my mom pulls up and the guy's like, what is going on? How is it that you guys can't get through here? And she's like, I swear I didn't go, I didn't take off this road or anything like that. And, and he's like, there's no way for you to go down there and come back out on the other side unless you got to Highway 50, came back up Highway 50 and came around. <laughs> And my mom's like, I swear we didn't turn off the road. And he's like, okay, well, try going back around because right now they're doing construction. You can't come through. And so we go back. And, like, this happens for the next, like, hour and a half of us keep coming around. My mom, she decides not to go down toward the construction site. She goes back the other direction. And this is all roads that she's very familiar with. Mm -hmm. And she's just, we keep coming out to the same spot, like, over and over and over again. It's the same spot right before the construction site. And it was it was so bizarre. And then finally, the, the construction site's over, and the everybody has left the construction site, and it's opened up, and we can go through again. And as soon as that's done, like we go through, and we're on the road back home, and we get there. But we were it was like a weird time space vortex for like and like two and a half hours that we're driving around up there. And, my, and I asked my mom about, it and she's like, "Yeah, that was like the most bizarre time ever because we kept passing things that she knew what they were and where we were based on the landmarks. But every time we would do it, we would go through like some sort of area with no landmarks and come back out on the same spot." <laughs> And she's like, I don't know. I, she said later, you know, she would, she went back up there when it was daytime and looked around and she couldn't figure out where she was, but we were lost in this place that should have been pretty familiar to us for hours. And, you know, she's got a car full of kids going like, when are we going to be home? I got to pee. I'm hungry. Like all that sort of stuff. And just wandering around up in the hills of California trying to figure out how to get back home and she's just that, it was that is the spookiest story you've ever told me oh it was really spooky well you know i had a similar experience and i'll tell this one real quick a very similar experience in northern virginia i love this story yeah the the uh sorghum the sorghum <laughs> guy so nate and i went up there in northern virginia and we went tubing and on our way to tubing we met this guy the sorghum guy who sold sorghum and apple cider by the side of the road and we went and got sorghum and apple cider we went tubing came back and there's been several times that I've gone up to Virginia, or to Northern Virginia. One time, actually, when I went up to West Virginia, and 
I ran a Tough Mudder up there, and I was so tired after the Tough Mudder. And I, I, I actually had booked the hotel for another day, but because I finished the Tough Mudder so quickly, I just didn't want to go back to the hotel. I was like, you know what? It's early enough in the day that I can get home, so I'm just going to go straight home. And But I was like... I, I, it was a bad idea because I was also very, I was just tired. And so I get on the freeway and I'm driving and keep getting lost. And finally I pull off and go into a gas station. And I say, hey, look, I'm trying to get back to Virginia Beach. How do, how do I go there? And the guy's like, Virginia Beach, you're in West Virginia. <laughs> he's like, do you know how to get, do you know where Manassas is? And I'm like, uh, I kind of know where Manassas is. And I know that I got to go through Manassas to get back to Virginia Beach. And he goes, okay, this is the way you do it. You do, you go down, you go back down this road right here that you were on. You turn left, you turn right, you turn left, you turn right. Then there's going to be a stop sign. Then there's going to be a barn. You don't turn at the barn. You go through the stop sign. Then there's going to be this tree that kind of hangs over the road. That's where you want to turn. And like, so his, his instructions were way too complicated. So I was like, uh, all right, thank you, man. So I'm just, I'm, and I just get, and I had no cell phone reception up there because it's, you know, West Virginia. And so I had no GPS or anything like that. So I just decided I'd just get back on the road going back the way I came. And I'm just, you know, wandering around all these Appalachian mountain roads and I come out at, at sorghum guy <laughs> and and I pull over and he's like hey it's you I was like yeah I, we were here not too long ago uh, and he's like well uh, and I was like I don't know how to get home from here and he's like oh it's no problem you just go straight up this road it'll take you out you'll be in Manassas once you're in Manassas there'll be signs for the freeway and you can get back to Virginia Beach he's like, and I was like well you know I want to buy something from you to be uh, to show my gratitude for the instructions and but I don't have any cash and he's like oh no problem here's some cider and here's some sorghum and so he gave me this sorghum and I had that sorghum for years I never could decide what to do with it because yeah. it's you know it's like molasses and I guess mm-hmm. you use it the same way but I don't really eat sugar very often and so I, I had no idea what to do I thought maybe I'd use it in a beer or something like that but you know I never got around to it but this happened three or four other times when I was up there either going to Nate's or going to Dakota's up there or mm-hmm. going to the different places in Northern Virginia all roads lead to sor- sorghum guy <laughs> and it and it's not like it's a main intersection or anything it's really it's just out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. intersection and it's always sorghum guys there and he remembered me every single time well, it's very weird. To be honest, you're six foot five to six foot six. Yeah. And like you're not a like this is kinda of hard to describe, but you're not a small, tall guy. Right. You you're broad shouldered, you have a very long torso. <laughs> like you stand out. Yeah, yeah. I do. And I and I'm and I'm generally pretty friendly, so Oh, yeah, and that that's the thing, is like a guy who sells that, you know cider and sorghum you're gonna somehow know his life story within 20 minutes (laughs) right that's true yeah yeah and that it was it was it's interesting how that type of thing happens where you get lost but you keep coming out in this like rural area and it and it's sort of I've, I've always talked about it, and now granted that time that I was coming back from the Tough Mudder, I know that the space-time vortex was just me being so tired. That and dehydrated. I, yeah, and dehydrated, and, and probably fell asleep several times while I was driving, which is, you know, super dangerous. Um, <laughs> but the the time that we were driving around up near Ponderosa with my mom, like, we were, we, we all had shared, this was like a shared experience, so it wasn't like I thought it took forever. It was like me and two of my sisters, and we're starting to get a little bit afraid. Like, I remember kind of, like, seeing my mom being, like, trying not to freak out because she didn't want to scare us, but kind of going, like, what the heck? Like, I know this area. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, is, like, your mom is not someone to consume intoxicants no like you know any even then it's not like you know she's and she's a level-headed person yeah she's not taken to flights of fancy where she's talking to you and misses the turn no you know yeah yeah it was it was just one of those 
yeah, it was just a really spooky situation where something, I mean, obviously, you know, unless it what really was a space-time vortex, which it could have been, um, it was just one of those weird situations where for some reason, the way that things were let out, the way that the sun was setting, the way that the light was, we just kept getting back on the same road in, in a place that we didn't want to be. Yeah. And, you know, this is obviously, this is before cell phones and GPS and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I guarantee, I'm sure that the practical person in me says that, oh, well, you know, we just, we just, it was like the sorghum guy. It's just all roads led to that intersection and we just kept coming out on that same intersection. But from the experience side it's just like this was bizarre yeah that's the so to relate it to my experience with california so you know we we have experienced the same situation but reverse in our friendship mm -hmm. so at some point i graduate college i decide i move into california to live with my wife and we weren't married at the time we were dating yeah we were dating yeah so i pack up my brand new car everything I can, and I decide to drive to California. So, you know, I'm driving the Fiesta across the country, loaded like, with all my stuff. And the thing about California, and this is the thing that I've never been able to understand, but yeah, I know from California seems to get this. The highway just ends in California. Mm -hmm. and it's not like it ends at the ocean, and you're like, oh, no shit, you can't go any further than the ocean in Los Angeles or Malibu. Yeah. You're driving through, and I'm going to say Plasterville, even though it's not, yeah. But you're driving through this no-name town. Suddenly, the highway's over. And ten and a half miles over, the same highway starts again. Yeah. There's no connection point. And this happened to me several times in California. And I thought I was in like, the friggin' twilight zone or something. I'm along, and all of a sudden, I'm not on the highway. I'm yeah. on, like, middle-of-nowhere road. And it, the roads are terrible. And, like, I'm freaking out. going like, am I going to get, like, uh... Oh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Like, like, cause you know, I've been driving forever, you know, driving across the country, not rushing it, but trying to, you know, make good time. I finally like pull up, like get back on the highway. I'm like, what the hell was that? It's like 40 minutes of just terrible roads and like. Yeah. And sometimes they do like, it's just, it's like a, like an old bypass or something like that. And yeah. And it's just, they never finished it or, or it never was intended to connect maybe. Yeah. But it's like, you're like on high, like I'm going to use 50 cause you said 50, but yeah. you're not. I was like, I'm on like 99. It's an actual highway. Yeah, yeah, and it stops being a highway halfway through. Actually, there's there's a lot of interesting parts of 50. 50 actually starts in New Jersey, I think, or maybe <laughs> Maryland, and it goes all the way to Sacramento. Yeah. And then, but it, it goes from like, it'll be like those weird, like towny roads where it's like, got a, it's got, it's not a freeway, it's a highway. So sure. it's got those weird towny roads where there's like, you stop at a stoplight randomly. And then once you get out of town, it becomes the freeway again, kind of. Well, it's like 58 going out toward Emporia. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that where it's just like randomly it's in the town. It's in a town. Yeah. But like, that's the thing is like, you're on a route. I was on an inner city. Yeah. Like, yeah. Actual way. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? That's kind of like my closest to like weird, you know, California dilation type thing. I'm like, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the roads are just weird. But I, the, what, the weird thing about this one was that it's a, it's an area my mom grew up in. She was familiar with it. And it was just one of those things, like just yeah. a weird time vortex. And this is, this is like, you haven't listened to the episode with Jacob's mom. Like, she's not a person who's, as far as I can tell, like, taken to flights of fancy. No. No, she's very down to earth. Uh, yeah. I think the most the most I've ever seen her drink was like a quarter of a Zima, and then we made fun of her so bad she didn't want to drink it anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, this, this is the thing. It's like, if you were telling me this story, it's kind of like you get lost in him running into Sorghum guy. Yeah. That's a you thing. That's <laughs> yeah. Like, randomly, you know, kept showing up at the same place going like, what the heck? Like, what's really funny is there's a, there's a gif on Reddit of these guys who are, like, pushing a guy in a wheelchair. And they stop a guy who's running and they ask where the pier is. And, you know, they're in L.A. or something like that. Someplace where it's no doubt a big pier. Mm-hmm. And he goes, just keep going down this way, man. Like, you'll get to it. So the guy who's in a wheelchair isn't really in a wheelchair. Right. You know? So they run and jump in a car and they drive really, really far. Not really far, but like, you know, say a mile down the road in the direction the guy is running. And then they get on the thing and they ask him where the pier is again. And as you're telling me the story about like running into this traffic dude, I'm like, it's yeah. the same thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe but, he, they, had, they had set it up and it was like a trick. No, nah, well, I, I don't think that, but like, the, like the kind of the structure of the story. Yeah, like, yeah. Where like and it, it does it makes you like question your sanity. You're like, what is going on? Like, did I forget or did I miss this? Yeah. But anyways, that's that's my, our spooky stories for the night. I got to take the dog out for a walk, so let's go ahead and recap yeah. the wine. Yeah. So we got the uh, I am the Ravenwoods Old Vine Zinfandel. Uh, oh well, I, I missed this. I don't know how I missed this on the label three times. The Vintner's Blend, so um, clearly this tells me it's a blend, but you know, it only talks about Zinfandel on okay. it. Uh, 2015, um, not a bad bottle of wine, you know, relatively cheap. Um, I think it's a good red, uh, pretty acidic, uh, but not, doesn't, so, you know, a lot of times with stuff with high acidity kind of leaves your mouth feeling weird. I don't get a lot of that there. Okay. So good, good red fruit flavor, pretty good. Yep, and I had the uh, Ravenswood Old Vine Zinfandel 2015. Lodi. So yeah. It was uh, also not bad. Uh, I, I mean, I may get this again, although I, I think it's been a while since I bought the same bottle of wine more than once mm-hmm. because I just want to try so much nowadays. Yeah. But uh, I liked it. I recommend it. Um, I wrote in my journal, I gave it 3.5 stars out of 5 stars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really it for the wine. If you guys want to talk to us and ask questions about our spooky stories, mm-hmm. you can hit us up. Uh, at Tasting Anarchy on Twitter or tastinganarchy at gmail.com or you can go over and comment on the show on... What's that? Now that we've got that working. Yeah, now that i got the comments working. Yep, thanks to my mom. Um, On our website, so it's tastinganarchy.com and I think that's all I've got to say. Anything else, Mason? Well, if you're looking for another show to listen to, so outside of our, uh, you know, our uh, outstanding grapes, what was our... uh, Superior Grapes. Superior Grapes, you know, Tom Woods, Jason Stapleton, and Lions of Liberty. Uh, listen to the Friends Against Government. You know, they, they um, Car Clamp it and uh, Bernarchy. I hope it, I always manage to butcher both of those. Yeah. Um, you know, Jacob is going to be at least meeting, you know, possibly on the show. Yeah, maybe. Uh, at, at, least. Le- at least having lunch with uh, Car Camp at Hopefully because he's in the area. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'll have him guest on this show at some point. Yeah, they've been super nice to, you know, shout us out and, um, you know, talk about our growing clout. Um, so, you know, uh, if you're looking for another podcast, they, they have a lot of, um, they're a little more blue than we are. So if you like the fact that we don't often swear, um, they swear a little bit more, but that's fine because I think it, like, fits the nature of their show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they're not uh, focused on wine, they're focused against the government, which is always appreciative from our standpoint. Um, but yeah, they seem like some pretty nice guys. Yep, so, I think so too. Yeah. Um, and then um, one other thing that went with that, nuts. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we'll remember it for uh, the next time. 
Yeah, so uh, from Tasting Anarchy, have a good one, everybody. All right, stay free. Yes. Yeah.